Hi, and welcome to the March 5th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida, and my desire is to help you grow in your understanding and enjoyment of God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're just reading in the Old Testament again, and uh, the readings for today is Numbers chapter 32 through 34. Once again, that's Numbers 32, 33, and 34. And you know how this works. If you haven't read those passages yet, hit pause, go back, read God's Word for yourself, listening to what He would say to you, and then come back and listen. But if you've already read those passages, let's get started. Okay, so as we look at Numbers 32, uh, this chapter seems to divide itself into three separate parts. The first part is that um, two tribes, the Gadites and the Reubenites, uh, observe that the land on the eastern side of the Jordan River, this is the part of the, this is the land where the Israelites are now uh, camped out, just waiting to get the word from the Lord across the Jordan River to go in and to take the promised land. Um, the two tribes, the Gadites and Reubenites, uh, have a lot of livestock. We assume the other tribes did as well, but we are specifically told that these two tribes had a lot of livestock, a lot of sheep, and they looked at the uh, the land and uh, observed that it would be a wonderful place for, their, for them to, you know, homestead for them to just claim as their own and uh they uh, almost certainly it was the well-watered plains of jordan the jordan valley everything around there is just lush and green and they were probably looking at that and thinking wow you know this would be a great place for us to camp out so they had this idea and they went to moses and asked him if they could settle on the eastern side now, God had promised the western side of the Jordan River, but they were asking for the eastern side. Well, in verses 6 through 32, we come to the second part of this chapter. And uh, essentially, it's the interaction of the, the delegates or the leaders from the Gadites and the Reubenites as they are talking with Moses. Well, one of the things that we would expect is that Moses is going to see things very differently than they do. Because they were looking at it from their vantage point. They weren't looking at it necessarily from all of the Israelites' vantage point, from the whole group. They were just thinking of their, their individual tribes. Moses didn't have that luxury. As the leader of Israel and as the one who wanted to pass on a good situation to the next leader, to Joshua, uh, he was seeing this very, very differently. And so whenever we get to verse 6 and listen to what Moses was saying, we realize that he was questioning them. Um, he w was wondering why they would stay behind while the other tribes would actually fight. So what he's, what he's doing in asking that question is he's saying, why are y'all scared to fight? You know, are you, are you getting cold feet? Are you not willing to go over and fight with everybody else to take the promised land that God has given to us? And then he also said, don't you know that your actions are going to discourage everybody else? 
And so their request, as they looked at the land, the Gadites, the Reubenites, as they looked at the land and they saw that it would be good for them, they came to Moses, the leader. Moses, the leader, saw it very, very differently. And I just want you to know this is a biblical leadership principle. We see it being played out here that... uh, I, I, could, I couldn't count on my fingers and toes how many times in my 20 years of ministry I've had well-intentioned, well-intentioned individuals within the congregations that I've pastored come to me with their idea of some ministry they wanted to get started or some direction they, they wanted to go in, their ministry, or, or something, of, or maybe they, they felt like the church needed to go in a direction. Um, But I'm telling you that as I looked at that, I was looking at it from a very different lens. You know why? Because I was the leader. I wasn't looking at it just through their limited lens of their individual ministry. I, as a leader, was looking over the whole of the church and considering how this would affect the whole church. And in many of those situations, as I came to understand, I thought, hey, you know, I do believe that the Lord is in this. Let's go for it. This is this would be good for the church. But but as the leader, as a pastor, I had to be focused on the well-being of the whole and secondarily of the parts. This is why Moses was getting upset, because the Gadites were focused on their part, the Reubenites were focused on their part, but Moses was focused on the whole of all of Israel. And so I just want you to know that if you're a leader or if you're someone that has a great idea and you go to a leader and they don't see it the way that you see it, just understand they're looking through a very, very different lens. But what happened as we continue to read up to verse 32 is that there was communication. You know, Moses got his concerns out right on the front end. He just told them, this is what I see happening, and I don't think this is good. And he said, if you're not careful, you're going to discourage the people from going over into the promised land. And he said, I'm old enough to remember when... 40 years ago, the Israelites disobeyed God because 10 people discouraged the people from going into the promised land. And we wandered for 40 years. And he said, now you number a whole lot more than 10 people. You're two tribes. You're one-sixth of all of the Israelites. And so Moses is just looking at this very, very differently. But they say, okay, we've thought about this, Moses. Uh, We understand where you're coming from, and we do understand this. And so we're not thinking only of ourselves, Moses. We're thinking of the people of Israel. And so what we are going to do is we're going to promise you that we're going to put on our fighting gear, and we're going to build fortified cities. We're going to leave our dependents in those fortified cities on the eastern side of the Jordan. And whenever the Israelites cross the Jordan to take the promised land, All of us in military gear are going in, and we will fight with you until you claim that land, and then we will come back and settle. Well, when Moses heard this, he was satisfied. He said, okay, you know, as long as y'all are going to hold up your end of the bargain and do that, I'm good with it. And so this is another principle. It's communication communication. Just, I mean, there's a lot of people that won't listen. Whenever they hear of an idea, they immediately uh, have a dislike to it and immediately they throw up that wall and they're not willing to listen to anything. But Moses listened 
and they listened to Moses. And because they were willing to honestly speak to each other and to listen, they were able to work this out. And so then what did Moses do? Moses knew he was going to be dying soon. The Lord was going to be taking him home very soon. So what did he do? He went to the priest, Eliezer, who was the the religious leader. He went to Joshua, who was the military leader who would take over after Moses left. And then Moses went to the heads of the Israelite tribes. And each of these leaders, he told them what of his conversation with the Gadites and the Reubenites and how he believed that their idea was okay based upon um, the contingency of them fulfilling their obligation to fight with everybody else in the promised land. And so he, he was able to communicate. And once again, this is a leadership principle. When people don't communicate, when they don't listen, then disagreements just settle in and people aren't able to work out their differences. But not only that, when decisions are made, if the people that need to know that are not informed, it creates chaos and confusion. And so we see here, this is what's supposed to happen. People are talking, people are listening, and those that need to know are being told. There's one other verse that I want to bring up in this section, and uh, it's a verse that I've heard many times. I grew up listening and reading and studying the King James, and so I know it as, be sure your sins will find you out. That's that's the King James Version, um, but uh, the, the CSB that I read out of now says it the same way. It's just in, in co- more contemporary English when it says this, but if you don't do this, you will certainly sin against the Lord. Be sure your sin will catch up to you. This is a very, very important principle that there's no sin that is hidden, that whether in this life or on the day of judgment, we are going to have to give an account for everything that we've done. And so Numbers 32, 23 is a verse that is underlined in my Bible, uh, just as a reminder that I need to be very careful uh, whenever I'm tempted to venture into disobedience to the Lord. Well, in verses 33 through 42, uh, the land is now being um, separated, and uh, half the tribe of Manasseh has has joined the Gadites and Reubenites, and so they have claimed the land on the east side, and they're rebuilding some of the cities, and they're just getting things ready as the nine and a half half tribes are just waiting for the Lord to call them to cross the Jordan to take the promised land. Okay, so Numbers 33. Uh, basically, uh, this, this chapter divides itself into two parts. The first part is verses 1 through 49, and this is a recounting of the journey, the 40-year wilderness wandering, all the way from Ramses in Egypt, all the way to the location where they are currently at. Um, and so it's got a lot of locations. Many of the, these locations, we just don't know where they're at. But it would be so incredible if uh, archaeologists were able to discover exactly where these sites were and maybe even kind of dig around in those areas to see if there were some items that are buried under the sand in that very dry climate where uh, things are preserved under the sand. 
And it would be so incredible if uh, archaeologists were able to dig in many of these areas where they camped out uh, just to see if there was anything that could be discovered that uh, that was 3,500 years old or something like that for when the Israelites were traveling through this area. The second part is verses 50 through 56, and this is where the Lord told um, the Israelites that when you go in, you are to wipe out the people of Israel. You are to move them out. Verse 51, tell the Israelites, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you must drive out all the inhabitants of the all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their stone images and cast images, and demolish all their high places. You are to take possession of the land and settle in it because I have given you the land to possess. Now, as I said in a recent podcast, if this was an idea that uh, a military leader came up with, then this would be completely evil because that military le- uh, leader would go into would be going into this land of Canaan unprovoked and displacing the people who were there, and um, in fact, killing everyone, women, children. Of course, those that were in the military that would fight. If this was brought about in the mind of a mere mortal, this would be evil on every sort because that mere mortal has no right to take somebody else's life in a battle that is unprovoked. In fact, I would say that that would qualify, certainly qualify, uh, in one of the Ten Commandments where it says, You shall not murder. But the Israelites were like no other nation in the history of planet Earth in that the Lord really was their God. Until uh, they had King Saul, until that point, they were a theocracy. God literally was their leader. Moses was the, the spokesman, but their leader was the Lord God. And so the instruction to go into the promised land was not something that was manufactured in the mind of a a self-centered, sadistic uh, leader who had no right to go in and claim the land that was not theirs. Instead, this, this plan was formulated in the mind of God in eternity past, and God owned the land. God had given every one of those people uh, their life, their physical life, and in fact, every single one of them and every single person on planet Earth, God has taken that life. There comes a time whenever God says, it's time for you to step through death's door. Um, We tend to think that people die, many people die of natural causes. That may be true explaining it physically, but we as Christians, as theological thinkers, believe, firmly believe, that no one can step through death's door until God calls them. God is the one who has the right over life. God is the one who has the right over death. God is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as well as all of the hills. And so since the Lord was telling the Israelites to do this, the Lord alone had the right over that land and also was the one who was determining when these people were going to be stepping through that door. 
And so even though it's, it's an ugly scene as the Israelites go in, it is the Lord that did this. He had the right and has the right to tell the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament um, to, to go in and to do this, to take everybody out. Um, he was, because he's going to, he's, when you die, it's the Lord that determines when you die. If you die of old age or if you die when someone um, shoots, you know, maybe it's an armed robbery and, and they shoot you and that's an evil act and yet that coincided with the Lord calling you home or whether you die because of a heart attack, that coincides with the Lord calling you home. I'm just pointing out that no matter when you and I die, it is at that point that the Lord was calling us home. And so the Lord is simply going to call the people of Israel home much, much earlier because he was sending the Israelites in. But also remember that as we looked previously, the people of Israel, the people of Canaan, not the people of Israel, the people of Canaan um, were evil. They were sacrificing their children in the fire to the God of Moloch. They were killing their children, burning them alive. And there were many other things that were going on during that time that was evil. And so even as the Lord was sending the Israelites in, it was also an act of divine judgment against the Canaanites. And so I just want you to realize that's how Christians can look at what the Israelites did and say, I do believe that this was certainly okay for the Israelites to do this, but it is not okay for anyone else to do something of this sort. It is not okay for, for Putin in Russia to go into Ukraine unprovoked and wipe out civilians. It is evil. Some would look at us and say, well, you're talking about outside, out both sides of your mouth because you condemn Putin, but you approve the Israelites. I just want you to know that we look at those two situations very, very differently. The Lord was the one who was giving the instruction to his people. And so it was the Lord that was moving against the, the, uh, the Canaanites. It's not the Lord that has conspired. The Lord is certainly using uh, what Putin is doing for his good and for his glory. And we don't necessarily see that, but we do trust that the Lord is working out his plan. But the Lord is not the author of evil, and what Putin is doing is evil. That's why we as Christians can believe that Putin is evil to the core for what he is doing and actually for who he is, while also affirming what the Israelites were about to do as they were going to go into the promised land and kill everybody. Okay, so let's look at the last chapter uh, for today, and it's Numbers chapter 34, and as I see it, this chapter divides itself into two parts. The first part, verses 1 through 15, is the boundaries of the promised land. And this is where the Lord simply determined this is the northern area of where the promised land is going to be. This is the eastern, this is the western, and this is the southern. And so that was necessary in order for the Israelites to know how you know how they were to go in and what areas to claim for their own they weren't to be reckless and to to go too far north or too far south and and take out people that the lord had not willed them to do because then they would have blood on their hands because they were going against the people that the lord had not instructed them to do 
Um, and so the boundaries were given so that they would know the area that they were to go in and claim and then how to distribute the land up according to the size of the nine and a half tribes. <clears throat> Then the second part in verses 16 through 29, we see that the officials uh, were, uh, there were officials that were to supervise the distribution of the land. Moses is going to be passed off the scene. And so that was given to Eliezer. It was given to Joshua. It was also given to leaders of the uh, various tribes. And so we see that this, they, they are just about ready to go into the promised land. And these are the final details uh, that the Lord has given. Now, I know that once again, we're getting close to the end of the book of Numbers. We only have a few more chapters. Numbers 36 is the last chapter. But then we have a fairly lengthy book, the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and But Deuteronomy doesn't recount um, you know, a, a big bunch of years, it is just Moses giving some final sermons and some final instructions to the people of Israel before he dies. And so Deuteronomy is a book that we're going to be uh, spending some time in here, uh, starting in a couple of days on March the 7th. Also, I do want you to know that as we get to the book of Deuteronomy, um, this is, it may be a stretch to say it was Jesus favorite book in the Old Testament. I think it may be a stretch to say that, but it certainly seems like it was his go-to book, particularly in times of temptation. Because if you were to go to Matthew 4 and you were to look at the three temptations that Satan uh, put before Jesus, all three times Jesus said, Satan, it is written. And then he quoted passages from the Old Testament. Three passages in particular. He quoted three passages. If you were to do a little bit of research, you would realize that all three passages are from the book of Deuteronomy. Every last one of them. And so when Jesus was three times quoting scripture to fend off, and to ward off the temptation of Satan... He was quoting from Deuteronomy, and so I don't want you to look at Deuteronomy as being a boring book at all. Uh, it's one that apparently Jesus loved and enjoyed and had committed to memory so that he was able to recite back verses of Deuteronomy to fend off temptation. Friend, I'm telling you that if we're to become like Jesus, then we need, we need to do the things that he did, asking him for the strength uh, to do the things that he did. And uh, one of the things he did is he apparently studied the book of Deuteronomy and he hid some of those verses in his heart so that he was ready when temptation came. So I want you, as we get into the book of Deuteronomy, to read it devotionally. Read it devotionally. Listen to what the Lord would say to you in that book. Uh, don't uh, don't dread it. It's a wonderful, beautiful book. Um and uh, I, I just want to encourage you to do that. All right? So let's go into our time of prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we come to you, and um, we thank you so much for the word that you have given to us, the written word that you have given to us. Father, even as I recalled, I think, in a prayer recently in one of the recent episodes, I recalled what David said when he said, Oh, how love I your law. It's my meditation all the day. 
Lord, help us to love your word, not just to to study it, but to love it, to enjoy it, not just to seek to understand it, but to enjoy it so that your Holy Spirit can do his work and apply it to our heart so that we can be more conformed to the image of Jesus. Father, we thank you that just as you spoke to the Israelites in the Old Testament and their duty was simply to obey, you have also spoken to us in your word. You've spoken to us in your written word and also, Lord Jesus, in you, the living word. And so I pray that we would desire to get to know you more and we would desire to get to know your word more so that we can develop a biblical mind, thinking biblically, so that, Lord, we can once again become more like you. This is our desire. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we've gone through numbers. Tomorrow will be our last day in the book of numbers. So we're just plowing right through this. Um, we, As of tomorrow, we will have read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, we've also read Matthew, and we're over halfway through the Gospel of Mark. So I just want to commend you all as we're spending time in God's Word, uh, seeking to understand it and enjoy it so we can apply it. And I just want to encourage you, just keep going, keep going. And once again, if listening to these podcasts just adds too much to your day, then just forego it for a day or two. You know, that's just, this is all about just providing a resource, but I don't want you to feel obligated like you have to listen. Um, so don't, don't feel, you know, like you have to do this. But one of the things I would tell you, you must do is you have got to spend time in God's word for yourself every single day. So make sure you're doing that. And, uh, if you've got time, come on over and see what I've got to say. And, uh, I just love being able to spend this time with you, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow as well. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.